Pinks, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much. I've missed you. <laughs> Any ghosts this weekend at Spa? Well, actually, we moved hotels. So clearly I kicked up such a fuss last time round. I was listened to and we moved hotels. So no, it was great. Oh, man, what a weekend. Did it actually happen? Did that race on Sunday actually happen? Mm, I'm wondering that myself. Am I awake now, in fact? Maybe you've incurred the wrath of the undead, Natalie, after moving. <laughs> I've never seen such a wet. I jokingly, before the Le Mans 24-hour race, I said, can it rain for 24 hours as a joke? And then uh, the whole weekend was wet. I, I mean, never does that happen. It doesn't rain for three days nonstop. Well, it does in Belgium. And it was so isolated. It just hung this cloud over the track, like a microclimate. You could see sunshine sort of 15 minutes away, but not over Spa-Francorchamps. I'm so glad I wasn't there. <laughs> Let's have a chat about it. Pinkles, you're back on the show. Fire us off. Let's go. I feel like it's going to be a short podcast. We've got two laps, two whole laps to discuss. <laughs> but there is so much more. Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, Tom Clarkson and Damon Hill. The race will not resume. The decision has been made, not to the satisfaction, I'm sure, of those that came to Spa and those that were hoping against hope that we would get some racing action, uh, but we can call it now. Max Verstappen wins the Belgian Grand Prix in 2021. So, the shortest race in Formula One history. How about that? Well, this is definitely going to be a pub quiz question, isn't it, going forward? What is the shortest race over the longest period of time? Question being, of course, was it really a race? I mean, can you actually race? What's the definition of a race? Is it following a safety car for a few laps behind um, in, in order and not being able to pass? How can you have a race where you're not allowed to overtake? Yeah, you got me there. That's right. <laughs> but what I feel, and I always want to be glass half full about these things, is for me, the weekend was a celebration of qualifying. All too often, we see fantastic performances, quite often from George Russell himself, Mr. Saturday, that aren't then rewarded on the Sunday. He gets some bad luck and it just doesn't translate overnight. And whenever you talk to the drivers on a Saturday and you're celebrating and, and, and congratulating them for a fantastic performance, they said, yeah, but the points come on a Sunday. Not this weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. They, they, um, they did it all on Saturday. They literally did do it all on Saturday. But honestly, the reality was that George was never going to hold on to that second place through an entire race. Oh, come on, Damon. We don't know that. And we will never know that. And for me, I'm just quite... It was just great seeing you up there on the podium, wasn't it? Pinkle, can we come back to qualifying, right? I, I, should that race have gone ahead? Did Michael Massey at the FIA do the right thing by calling it off? What do we What do we all think? I, I don't think they could have raced. I mean, every driver seems to be adamant. I and mean, there were a few dissenters in the first start. And they were, some people were saying we could have raced Alonso, I think, and also Max was saying. But they all, I mean, I think Alonso was still... Uh, of the view that they could have raced at the end. But I think even by that time, Max had changed his tune and said we couldn't have raced. But then he had won. So maybe, maybe <laughs> that coloured his decision. <laughs> it's a big shame to not do proper laps, but the, the conditions were very tricky out there. Of course, you know, it's a win, but that's not how you want to win. But I think for today, you know, uh, big credit goes to all the fans around the track to stay here, you know, the whole day in the rain, in the cold, windy 
conditions. Um, so I think they are actually the, the bigger winners today. It's different from Verstappen, wasn't it? Because the big thing was visibility. And when you're leading, um, albeit behind a safety car, visibility isn't such an issue. But, you know, we're talking to the drivers afterwards. They said they could see nothing. But I have to say, we were talking about it all week, that the fact it was going to be a washout. So it really come as a surprise that there was no let up in the weather. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? How aquaplaning wasn't the issue, yet the visibility was the issue. You'd have thought the two are sort of linked, but no, the actual track conditions were raceable. That's what a lot of the drivers have said. It was purely the visibility that stopped that race. And it's funny how it just hangs. Do you think that was to do with the type of rain? <laughs> Only because it was a very fine misty rain that was just constantly falling wasn't it it wasn't a deluge as such it wasn't sitting rain and sort of gushing down the track and obviously there were certain parts of the track that looked worse than others but it just seemed to be this kind of veil of gray mist that hung over the circuit making visibility yeah. really bad and there was just enough water coming down to replenish what had been moved by the cars the previous lap that was the problem it's bloody cold as well <laughs> it's bloody cold i will say this I, I went there in formula three the first time i went to spa in 1985 i think it was oh 86 and it was wet and i went round and i couldn't see a damn thing and i was following i knew that there could have been a stationary car in the middle of the track and i just i just thought this is insane are you telling me we're supposed to expect to do this we can't see i i really was freaked out by it and that was in a formula 3 car and we saw what happened with the w series accident absolutely and that was admittedly that was in the the classic radion corner where you're unsighted if you lose it but what happens Unfortunately, with Radion, is people collide with the left-hand side, then bounce into the track. And then, of course, what happened, we had a multiple pileup, which was very similar to the one that happened in the 24 hours of Le Mans with Jack Aitken um, recently, where we had, and of course, Antoine Hubert um, uh, a couple of years back in the F2 race. So there is a problem with that corner. And of course, Lando in qualifying. But thankfully, mercifully, he wasn't struck again by cars coming up the hill. But of course, in a race situation, there's no way you could have started that race. And and in all good conscience, I mean, start that race and just go, I'll just hope it's going to be OK. It was too tricky. And I don't know what the solution is, because clearly you're going to go to Spa, you're going to get wet racing and lots of other places we go to. But particularly Spa has this unique problem with it is that as you said Natalie it hangs in between the trees it doesn't get blown away it doesn't get dissipated it can't escape and you get this hanging mist but we've had some spectacular races in the wet there as we know and I have won some but I would say sitting from the, in the comfort of my beanbag at home watching it on on the telly I certainly wouldn't want to do that again you know, it was a gamble. It was a massive gamble to race in those conditions when I was doing it anyway. And it would have been a gamble. So I think we've changed. Our philosophy has changed now towards risk or hazard. I mean, it's risk, actually. There's a distinction between hazard and risk. The hazard is potential for catastrophe or what happens when a catastrophe happens, when a crash happens. But the risk is the chance of it happening. And that's really what we're talking about. We're actually saying there's a one in 10 chance of something, a fatal accident happening or a one in 100 chance. What is the chance of, of there something serious going wrong? Well, as Sebastian Vettel said, it's better to be safe one time too many than one time too little. Absolutely. But we're in, we're in the risk business. You know, this is Formula One and we, and, and we, we eulogise so many times races where it has been treacherous and difficult. So this is the dilemma, paradox or whatever it is 
that we're in. No one is criticising DH. I don't think anyone is criticising Michael Massey at the FIA for not starting that race. I, I think everyone is in agreement that it was... Um, no, I mean, for the record, Tom, I think he did everything he possibly could do to try and get a race underway. And he gave it enough time for it to happen. He gave it a chance. Everyone did everything they possibly could to make a race happen. There was no one there that didn't want the race to happen. Can I add this, though, in that Formula One is a show? OK, we're all agreed on that. There was never a window. I mean, on Saturday, we had short, sharp blasts of sunshine to the point that you drop the umbrella and you'd say, oh, that's it. That's the rain done for the day. And then two minutes later, it'd come back. It was so changeable. But this was constant on Sunday. There was a sense of foreboding when I turned up at the track. And I thought, do you know, there was part of me that didn't want us to go racing because I thought, God, if that, you know, Lando had such a horrible crash on the Saturday. And as you say, if Seb had been any closer, it could have been really serious. Uh, it wasn't. We got off lightly. I don't envy Michael Massey one bit. It was a thankless task for him yesterday. I agree. He did everything he could. He looked absolutely exhausted when we interviewed him on Sky. So so stressed. I mean, it's got to be the most stressed. You've got 20 of the highest performing drivers in the world and you are responsible ultimately for their lives. Yeah. I mean, tell me something's a more pressurised job. And, That's you know, he huge. pulled it off and he was being lobbied left, right and centre from teams, drivers, fans, people back home. Everyone was chipping in. Everyone was phoning in from the pit wall. And it was tough. It was really tough. I do, however, feel incredibly sorry for the fans. But how good were the fans? They never stopped smiling or dancing. They were amazing. I, mean, I don't know what they were feeding them, but no. I'll have some, please. <laughs> Well, it's going to be one of those races that goes down in history as, do you remember when? And if you were there, yeah. there was a, you know, I was yeah. I was fascinated, intri intrigued, I think is the right word, as to how it was all unfolding live at the time. And I think the fans will feel that uh, maybe a little bit angry now about not seeing a race and the money they've spent. Totally understand all that. But down the line, I think I was there. I was there. <laughs> but I don't think the fans left angry. They were in great spirits when I saw them at... Well, maybe not such great spirits when we're in a traffic jam for two hours trying to get to the airport, but, you know. There's going to be a debrief about this. Right now, there'll be, um, Ross Braun will be in there and they'll all be talking about the technical things that they could have done. And they'll learn from it, as they always do with Formula One. I mean, I think it's quite easy for us to sit here in the comfort of our of our homes and hotels and, uh, and reflect and potentially criticise the decisions made. I'm sure they considered everything that we've just discussed yesterday. I mean, they had enough time to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think all things considered, we have to just put this down force majeure and say, you know what? As you say, Tom, it goes down in history as surreal, very different, and a celebration of qualifying, which we rarely get. What do we feel about half points then? That was the sixth half points race in history. Yeah. I mean, I think I saw... I think it was Karen suggested, you know, maybe you need to do more than 25% race distance to get to get points. I think that's a good suggestion. I do feel uncomfortable about awarding points for this event. You know why it bugs me? It bugs me because now they're on 0.5 and it's just not clean. The mass is tricky, isn't it? <laughs> Another pub quiz question. When was the last half points race? Can you remember? A, it was a... Uh, it was at Adelaide. Now that was 91. <sighs> that was 91. Malaysia 2009. Do you remember? It was dry to start with. Then there was that monsoon after 30-odd uh, laps. Bang. End of, end of it. What year? 
2009. 2009. No, I, uh, yeah, I wasn't paying After attention to 2009. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for all the guys, you know, for all the drivers who never scored a world championship point. And, and there have been some very good ones who never scored. To suddenly just see them dished out the way they were yesterday. But it was in the regulations. The FIA could do nothing other than give out points because that's what the regulations state so whether that needs an overhaul as you say maybe 25 percent race distance but i don't know though tom i feel like it was a reward for qualifying and you know that was such a tough qualifying but pinks they don't give points for qualifying we've never done that before unless there becomes a new rule that if in the event that there is no race there are points awarded for qualifying and they will be this 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 and this like they do in the junior formulas there's four points for pole in formula three for example so yes an overhaul lots of discussions to be had and actually michael massey and stefano dominicoli have said there will be a meeting to discuss the fallout from this race and there will be changes for 2022 so yeah as damon was saying the sport will learn and there will be a greater uh, knowledge base for when this happens again at Spa in 2022. You mean it's Anvil next week? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the crucial thing, isn't it? The fans have not got long to wait for their fix of Formula One. These races are coming in thick and fast. And even if we can only get to 22 on the calendar, there's still so much more racing to enjoy. Yeah, looking forward. There was quite a lot of news breaking over the weekend. It was all quiet over the summer break. We get to to Spa and all sorts of driver contracts announced, the the revised calendar for the end of the year. Actually, during the lull in proceedings during the race, I found myself planning what I would do if Turkey is still on the red list later in the year and we're we're all sent straight to the US for Austin which is the next race two weeks later if we have to go straight to the US what can you do in Austin for two weeks that's what I found myself pondering during the break what did um, you guys do during the break yesterday break in proceedings me the break in the proceedings I used my um, my app to be able to continue to watch the broadcast whilst I hit golf balls down at the driving range <laughs> so I'm literally thinking this is going to take some time. I could probably hit a good bucket of 100 balls, which is what I did. I put my kids into some more camps because, believe it or not, they're still on their summer holidays. How is that even possible? It felt like anything but summer yesterday. And I watched some of the football because that was running simultaneously. Multitasking. But see, Natalie was outside, Tom. You know, she was braving the elements. Where were you? You were tucked up in a flimmin'. Yeah. You were nicely... Yeah, actually, yeah. no, I, st- yeah, I was, I was. I'm not going to pretend I was outside. I wasn't outside. So do you have central heating? Do you have heating on and stuff? Uh, no, do you know what? It was actually really... <laughs> Pinks, you're going to love. Sorry, how were your feet, by the way? Very soggy, no doubt. Um, yeah, no, it was too hot in the office I was in. I had to put the air con on. What? Oh, it's just awful. By the way, can I just say, one of the effects of COVID, and I'm not going to expect any violins for this, there is nowhere that we can go. So <laughs> it was drilling down with rain and there's, there's nowhere to take cover. And I spotted this little cabin that was empty. I thought, oh, my God, this is a result. I went in there. There was no one in there. So I sort of sh- shook off and kept dry. Two minutes later, get out of my cabin. Who was this horrible person? I can't possibly name and shame. But because of COVID, you're not allowed to go in any undesignated area you know the good old days we could go into mclaren have a lovely hot chocolate with marshmallows bobbing around in it now you are literally 
squatting down behind the the sky stage and trying to find any sort of cover because the um, the TV compound is completely on the other side of the circuit at, at Spa. There's no, there's no. That's paddock. the problem. Yeah, it's, so you couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't leave because by the time it could take you 15, 20 minutes to get back to the compound. But look, I don't expect any sympathy. No, you're not. No, but you're, you know, you're, you're not um, over, overdoing it because actually at one point, Ron Meadows came on the radio to speak to Mike and said, can we, I'm freezing, he said, can we go and have a cup of tea in the garage? Because they've been on the pit wall the whole time. I can remember in 98 when I got to the end of the race and it had been quite a long race, but not, not maybe as long as what we saw yesterday, I don't know. We did eventually get to the race and I'm on the podium. I tried to jump, but I was still frozen. I couldn't really actually do a jump. So I, I sort of got about six inches off the ground and then jarred my back when I landed. But I'd been sat in a freezing cold car for about two hours. I love it. Yeah. You didn't hurt yourself at all. You didn't hurt yourself at all during the race, but you did it. Yeah, exactly. On the yeah. I was a podium injury. injury. That's uh, one of the ones I cherish. Can we talk about some of the winners and losers of the weekend? Because... Lando Norris, for example, has just had the most incredible season. He had that 15 race point scoring streak that came to an end in Hungary through no fault of his own. And then he he bounces back by just being astonishingly quick in quali. And it did really look like he was going to put it on pole, didn't he? I think he believed that. I certainly think the team did. And then just obviously potentially overcooked it combined with the bad conditions in in quali. And then here you find all that hard work. He's not in the points, not even half a point, which did seem a shame. But it hasn't really affected anything dramatically for him because he's still third in the standings. I mean, this is a kid who's just the form of his life. Yeah, he, d- he doesn't usually make a lot of mistakes, but he was pushing the, his luck a bit by going out on slicks because he was one of the few cars to go out in the... Um... FP3, I think, on, on slicks to try it, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Was it on uh, Saturday? But, um, you know, that didn't work. But at least he found out. But, Damon, doesn't that show the confidence he's got at the minute? That he is prepared to be one of those guys just in case it's like that in qualifying? He he was hungry for pole. And that going out on slicks on a slightly damp track at the end of FP3 just proved he was up for it. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's great. It's a sign that he has got um, an abundance of confidence. The trouble is, when you have a massive shunt, it dents that confidence. And if you have two, it starts to have an effect. And three, four, after about five, you start thinking, maybe I need to leave a little bit of a margin if you get that far. So, you know, I, you see it a lot with very young drivers is they haven't got the experience of what it, what it, how, it how it hurts. And um, so, you know, Formula One shunts can be quite alarming, but they're made of strong stuff. They'll, they'll be back, but they learn not to not to take that many risks, you know, or not be overconfident. He went into to Radion, didn't he? And just it just got completely sideways. I don't know if it had just started to rain more at that part where there was a river where he hit a hit a compression. But anyway, he got it right in the middle. He got an oversteer he couldn't catch and then it it flipped him into the wall. And boy, does that wake you up if it doesn't knock you out. Guys, do you remember the flooding that there was at Spa about a month ago? And as a result of that, there's been a little bit of a landslide, I was told, at Eau Rouge. And there's now a bump just as you start going up the hill. And I think the combination of the bump and bad track conditions and Lando being just carrying a little bit too much speed all came together to put him in the barrier on the left-hand side, which will, I think we should add, be moved back for next year that barrier on the left hand side of Eau Rouge is going to be moved they're going to move the mountain to give them more runoff there 
in the hope that, as you mentioned earlier, Damon, cars don't get thrown back into the, onto the racing line. I think we're going to have to have a think about uh, Radion Oru's section because I just think keeping moving the barriers back just does it just increases the speed at the top of the hill and the, and the greater commitment. I think it was I can't remember who was it who said it, but I mean um, they were saying that uh, I think it was Sebastian maybe. But you know, we, we problem is you're flat through there, and with the extra runoff, people are taking they're just more committed. You know, and there's, there's not there's not the kind of care that is taken because, you know, if you come over the top and you don't make it, you can straight line it. You know, it's a get out. And, and, and that unfortunately, that increases the, 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 the mid corner speed. Anyway, number of things that need to be thought about, um, sadly, because it is one of the great iconic corners in Formula One. Sebastian's suggestion is that you actually make it more of a corner, actually slow it down more so that you can't take it flat and you have to slow yourself down. Jack Vilner's famously had a, a massive shunt at the top of the hill there because he was determined to take it flat when it was much more difficult in those days to take it flat. Now these cars are easier flat, so they're taking it flat. Um, and that is a downforce problem. That's not a, that's not a track problem. That's a, the amount of grip that these cars generate. So, yeah, I mean, you, you take away the wing and it's a much slower corner. You take away downforce, the cars can't go through there as fast. No, Damon, to your earlier point, I noticed a marked difference between the old and new guard in terms of the drivers, in terms of the way they were discussing the race and the safety implications. You know, Fernando, Sebastian, Daniel, there was no shame in, in coming forward to say, I'm not comfortable racing in this. And I think that does come with the years. I certainly felt that it was the younger lot that were keen to go racing and the older lot were saying, just, just calm down a bit because actually this is very dangerous. I, I think that happens, has happened in, in our sport um, as long as I can remember. And I can remember also motorbike racing when I was, uh, when I was racing, there was young kids would get on a bike, they'd be 17 years old and they'd be, and I remember Barry Sheen saying to me, yeah, he said, they're quick now, wait until they fall off. That'll slow them down a bit. You know, this is a man who went down the Daytona banking at 175 miles an hour and broke every bone in his body several times. You know, you know, you're invincible when you're very young you're, in your mind, you're invincible and you can put those risks out of your mind. When you've got kids, you know, Enzo famously didn't take on any driver who um, who was married, even let alone had children. He didn't like the idea, he thought it made them slower because he knew that young people would be prepared to risk everything. But is it responsible for the sport to just take advantage of that casual cavalier attitude? That's where you, you're right, Natalie. There is definitely, and you hear it more from Sebastian, there is there's a more mature kind of caution in there. Was the risk part of the attraction for you? Because it certainly was for, I mean, I remember Sterling Moss saying that without the risk, he, he would have found it a lot less appealing. Yeah, in, and absolutely. The risk was the challenge in those days. It's a bit like the, the free climbing, you know, the... Um, El Capitan, the guy that did that free climb, you know, it, <laughs> you can do it with a rope. It's not the same. It's not the same challenge, you know, and you have to make that uh, next bit of the mountain. You're going to fall to your death. That is a very bizarre, extreme example of, of how the mind can be overcome or fear can be overcome. But overcoming one's fear, I mean, you can be frightened of hurting yourself. You don't have to be it's a certain death. It doesn't have to be that. But I mean, Tom, I don't know how, what's the biggest shunt you've ever had in a car? But I can tell you, when you're going over 100 miles an hour and you hit something solid, it hurts. Now, that should be enough of a deterrent and enough that you don't want to make a mistake. So 
if we can get rid of the chance of a fatality or serious injury in our sport, then we should take that opportunity, I think, because there's still plenty of other risks out there. Of course we should. Uh, just on the topic of Sebastian Vettel, the one thing I would say is in the immediate aftermath of Lando's crash on Saturday, he got on the radio, didn't he, and said, I effing told you that we should have red flagged that. And I thought that was too much because he was effectively swearing at the referee then. And I felt Sebastian needs to rein it in a bit. And let's not forget that two days earlier, Damon, he'd actually been saying that he thinks that the rules should be changed uh, because he was he found it so bitter to lose second place. And there should be in Hungary and there should be more leniency to do with how much. Yeah, but come on, emotions are running high when you've just seen a young guy have that, that much of an impact you're gonna you're gonna swear of course but i think you have to have control of your emotions in a formula one car and you don't swear at the ref in the same way that you don't do a stupid overtake or a, lun a stupid lunge down yeah. the car in front and i feel that that was too strong from sebastian and he needs to rein it in i, I also feel part of that with sebastian and lewis is that they're the elder statesmen of the sport and they do feel in many ways superior to some of the people they're talking to. And so they feel they've got a voice in a way that a lot of the younger drivers don't. And they've got nothing to lose. So they, they'll say exactly what's on their mind. That may be disrespectful, but I think it just comes with four world titles, seven world titles. They feel as if they should be directing proceedings in a way. They're the establishment, yeah. aren't they? Now? Yeah. You're absolutely right. All I'm saying is rein in the language. And, um, you know, being sworn out by a Formula One driver, Pinks, it's not great. <laughs> well, you're the only one with any experience of that, aren't you, TC? <laughs> Can we talk about George Russell? Can we talk about Max? Can we talk about Daniel? I think there were some good feel-good stories that did emerge from the deluge. Good performance by Daniel. Well, much needed. And yeah, he, he largely got forgotten, didn't he, by everything else that has happened around him. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a much better that's performance. That's a good thing though, Damon, isn't it? He ju He's just sort of crept in under the radar, put it P4 and, yeah. and, and taken at least some points for his efforts. And I think hopefully this is a gradual and steady step forward. Except, of course, if Lando hadn't shunted, then he would have been behind Lando. Because uh, it, it it entirely was possible that Lando could have been on pole position and won the race, uh, as was pointed out earlier. Tom, what do you think? Extraordinary to think that he's one of only 20 drivers to have hit 200 yeah. Grand Prix as well. Hell of a tally, that. But then when you think that Lando and George have already clocked up 50 each, what? So many races <laughs> on the calendar now. Suddenly yeah. you're, uh, you're able to uh, to build up quite a total, aren't you? So George Russell crosses the line to take pole position. Remember, when he set his fastest time in Q3, he it was good enough for pole because Max was still to finish his lap. And Jos Capito, the boss of Williams, says that Jensen Button texted him at that moment and said, that was one of the best laps I've ever seen coming from the 2009 champ. It was mighty. Across the line goes George Russell. It's provisional pole for the Williams and George Russell. What a lap from George Russell. But Verstappen's still got to make it through the final two apexes. He's done that nicely. Verstappen denies George Russell in his rebel on pole. You can hear the Dutch fans cheer that one. But they'll be celebrating in the Red Bull garage and at the other end of the pit lane down at Williams as well because it's a front row for George Russell in Spa. It's a stonking lap. 
Now you've out-qualified Mr Hamilton. George Russell. P2. Come on! Yes! Yes! Woo! Yes, guys! Oh, my God. Well, it's incredible. How did he do it? Did he? I mean, how did he do it? Because he was ahead of Lewis. Was it just pure George? I mean, was it just... That's how good he is. Did they have an extra set of new tyres or something? What was what was going on? I, I feel like I feel like they started with great intent. You know, the fact that uh, George and Nicholas were out on the inters at a time when no one else was. They were making smart racing decisions as a team, weren't they? And aggressive they ones. They were on the pace. front foot throughout Wally. Yes, absolutely. Um, but can I just digress slightly by telling you that Jos Capito is maybe my new favourite person in Formula One? think he might have replaced Yuki. Yuki's kind of just gone off the radar a bit, hasn't he? I'm afraid. I don't believe you, Pinks. I mean, Yuki's still incredible. Come on. Now, have you listened to Tom's interview with Joss Capito? What, on... um, Yeah, Beyond the Grid. Beyond the Grid? No, I haven't. Do you know that must be about the only one I haven't listened to? He's a bit of a lad. He's a bit of a hero. He's had such a life in in motorsport, hasn't he, Tom? I'm definitely listening to that. Yeah, he has. He has Dakar. He was at Sauber. He was one of the guys that brought Kimi into Formula One in 2001. But why is he, Pinks, your favourite person in Formula One and not me or not Damon? Well, it goes without saying, you can't pick a mate. And by the way, I love your Beyond the Grid podcast. I have listened. I'm, I'm embarrassed that I haven't listened to that one because it's got two of my faves on it. But yeah, he comes up on stage for anyone who missed it. And he just waxes lyrical about George. Brilliant. Lovely stuff. It wasn't sort of manufactured media chat. It was from the heart. And then he turns to the camera and starts doing this kind of rallying cry to the fans back in the UK saying, I know you want it like I do. This is Britain. You you just, and George is going to deliver for you. This is for you. And come with us tomorrow on this journey. And it was just wonderful. What a character. Yeah, it was good. He's a leader, isn't he? He really is. You'd follow him into battle, wouldn't you? He's one of the, he's a really infectious yeah. character like that. Yeah, he's very good. And also, what I loved about him was he said, you know, there is no way we can hold George back if and when, and more the when than the if. He gets the Mercedes seat. He was just so proud, like it was a son that he was letting go and fleeing the nest, but he'd sent him on his way with, um, you know, his blessing. Hmm. So Toto said at the weekend, we have made the decision. And on the strength of George's performance on Saturday, we all know what that is, don't we? You might even say his performance on Saturday was even more boosted by the the knowledge that he's uh, got a drive for Mercedes very soon. I mean, it, it can't be anything else, right? No, it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. They've got to, Mercedes have to think of the future. I mean, Lewis is not going to go on, you know, he's an incredible driver. He might go on for five more years, but you'd be mad not to snap up George Russell. Any team would be trying to snap him up, wouldn't they? I mean, top team. He's a, he's and if a, they don't, then another team is going to go and absolutely. snap him up. Yeah, you can't, you can't have him going somewhere else. Yeah, you've almost got to have him. <laughs> Although, do you know what? There's there's a tiny bit of me that thinks, wouldn't it be a great story if he stayed at Williams? And the, this growth that we're seeing from him and the team over the last three months. Tom, you were just mentioned, Josh Capter. If, if he is not trying everything he can possibly do to keep him, because you can build teams around drivers. And, you know, everyone's... Michael Schumacher, we, uh, clear, both clear, Benetton absolutely, and Ferrari. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, whatever you, wherever you look, the, you talk about catalysts, drivers are the key ingredient 
They're the they're the kind of what's that thing that's uh, when when Superman goes up and he has got the kryptonite and he puts it in the in the crystal in the thing and then everything lights up. You know what I mean? They are <laughs> the bit of kryptonite, and you can see the team is lifted. They're buoyed up. The Williams team they all want to work harder. They, they people want to go and work there. They want they would want to be with um, George Russell at Williams, and they'll get deals because of George. You know, it could happen. You're right. It could be that. I would certainly be trying to keep him if I was Jos Capito right now. But as Jos said, he said, we will not be ready to win the World Championship next year. So if he gets the chance, he has to go. But maybe come back to us in a couple of years if we if we get our stuff together. Yeah, big challenges for all these teams. And he also said, actually, Nat's new favourite person, um, <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> that Nicholas Latifi is is more than likely going to stay at the team next year. And he did a good job in quali, actually. He doesn't have that much no. wet weather experience. Yeah, and he, and he made one points. Yeah. It's another double points finish for Williams. Back-to-back double points finishes for Williams. And, and that kind of secured them eighth in the constructors, I think. They're now way ahead of Alfa Romeo. I did see a funny meme that said, no, you're not dreaming. And it was a shot of George holding up his trophy and Nikita Mazepin celebrating fastest lap. I missed that. Did he get the fastest lap? Yes. Oh, fantastic. That's brilliant. That is the pub question of the year, isn't it? Who got fastest lap in the 2021? (laughs) To be fair, I wasn't looking to find someone who got the fastest lap. That completely (laughs) never occurred to me. There would be one. Did anyone else think that Mercedes were a little bit off colour all weekend? Well, yeah. there was a time in yeah. Q3 that I thought they were going to pull it back and put it on pole. I mean, I thought, hang on a minute, Red Bull have been looking strong all weekend, but they just seemed... Was it was it the penultimate lap? But then, um, obviously, Lewis had the issue, didn't he, where he got stuck in traffic uh, behind Latifi in the practice session. So we couldn't get a read as as to where they were. And then Toto came on to Sky to tell us that, you know, they did have this straight line speed advantage and all being well if the weather held off. (laughs) But Pinks, wasn't that a bold call? We all knew it was going to rain on Sunday to go for more of a a dry, low downfall setup. I mean, that's why I laugh because I mean, you you only had to look at weather forecast, which I know is never great. But when it said 90% chance of rain all day, but didn't didn't um, Max put on a wafer thin rear rear wing? I thought he had a tiny rear wing, and yeah, that was. He and then he said back, after his, did he, he change it back? He had, oh, okay, yeah. right. So I didn't, I didn't, I missed that bit. You uh, were too busy playing golf. No, no, I was <laughs> not playing golf. I was, I was watching. <laughs> I always watch it all. I just don't always watch it immediately at the right at the time. I, when you look at their the amount of downforce they had on their cars, I think it's hard to see anyone beating Max Verstappen had that race gone to 44 laps yes. yesterday. I Great. thought Max was supremely confident. Great lap. I mean, George brilliant in qualifying, but so was Max. Great lap. Yeah, and what's interesting to me was that Max singled this place out as his favourite track on the calendar. And yet he's never won there before. It's not one he's done particularly well at in the past. And yet he did look very strong there this weekend. So it was a shame we were kind of, we, along with the 70,000 Dutch fans in the crowd, were sort of robbed of the opportunity of seeing that. While we're talking Red Bull, wasn't a great day for Checo, was it? No, just been signed up. 
just been renewed his contract renewed and he thought you, you renew a driver and he dumps it on the blooming lap to the grid oh dear oh, i mean damon oh, how in his defense yeah. i mean you tell me is that an easy thing to do well uh, if i'd done it i would i would love you to defend me but um <laughs> frankly i mean no. the problem is it's it's a don't do it's a do not do thing you know you get you at least get to the grid i don't think i've ever I don't think I'm, I'm not going to blow my own trumpet, but I don't. I don't think I've ever done that. I'm, I have seen others do it, but it's I don't not, think that's bit, blowing your own trumpet. It's a quite bit frankly. embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, and um, it means you're half asleep. It you is. know, that's the thing. It's not. You're but not. But it does totally... raise the question: Have they done the right thing in re-signing Checo, or is he just not gelling with that team? No, he's good. He, he he's he's right for them. He's the right thing for them. I, I'm absolutely convinced that he's the right thing for them. He can he can deliver good solid results for them in the constructors championship i mean obviously they had a blip there but you know mostly he's been very solid the other person who didn't have a great week, yeah, what, ditch, sorry to, no, before you move to on off the poor old checker <laughs> leave, leave him alone he's a lovely <laughs> no, guy forget crashing yesterday irrelevant that's one blip but the gap to max wasn't any closer over the weekend and is that gap too big no. i just i love checker i think he's no. a wonderful guy and he he was there in Baku to pick up the pieces when Max had that tyre blowout. Okay, so let's say you've got a, a Gasly or an Albon or any one of the other Red Bull junior drivers in there and they're a second or whatever off, off of Max. What's going to happen to them? They are going to go, they're going to get worse because they're going to be so demoralised. But someone like Checo, he knows what's going on. He knows that he can, you know, it's going to be a hard job to be max, matching Max. But he's mature enough to know he's in a good place and he can get some good results. So he's not going to get demoralised by it all. And he's and he's grateful that his F1 career stayed on track because of Red Bull. You know, he he was without a drive at the end of the season, wasn't he? And and I feel I totally agree with you, Damon. That if he was one of the young guns, he'd be so busy trying to prove himself, and then, as you say, get demoralised when things didn't go his way. You'd have helmet marker and breathing hot air down their neck, you know, and and going, you know, and they'll just they'll just wither. It's too tough an environment, the Red Bull garage. Hey, and that's been proven to be the case. I'm not actually disagreeing with you. I'm just posing the question as to whether they've done the right thing. And I think we we think they have. I think Three. they've done the right thing. Well, what about Fernando Alonso then? Resign. I didn't even know it was a question, by the way, him in 2022. I, I thought, thought the whole thing was a two-year project to Alpine. Thought, yeah. I think it's an option, yeah. Tricky option. A one plus one. Yeah. Yeah. So how old is he now? 40... Alonso is 41, is he? No, he's 40. Just 40. 40 in Hungary. So he will be 41 next year. It does definitely. I mean, he's not going to do a year year after that, is he? Um, Why not? Because it it goes. I mean, things happen. You start tripping over your shoelaces and stuff. It just happens. You know, you start bumping into things. You bang your head on the the gantry and stuff like that. (laughs) Did you see that during the break, he was doing something like, uh, 140 k's a day on his bike and his record is more than 200 k's in a day he's fit enough but it's not it, it's not i don't think it's the fitness i might be wrong but i mean why don't you see a lot of 50 year old formula one drivers well you did back in the day no when fangio when they were you like but you're talking about gonzalez yeah. or someone like that you know <laughs> see, he's carrying about 40 pounds of fat on him you know, how old was Nigel when he won? Nigel was 39 when he won the world championship. Yeah. And when he won in Adelaide in 94. So he was, yeah, older than Alonso anyway. It goes, Tom, let me tell you, I, I don't want to frighten you or anything, but it starts to go. 
I feel that Fernando Alonso is a really good fit at this stage of Alpine's growth. Marcin Budkowski, have I said that right? There's various versions, is just a fantastic leader now. He has really blossomed in his new role. And I feel as if he's come out of the shadow of Cyril Abitaboul. I don't know if you heard him on the pit wall this weekend, but he gave so much clarity and insight into what's happening at the team and spoke with real conviction as a real leader. That combined with Fernando Alonso's wily experience, Esteban Ocon's youthful exuberance is exactly what a team needs at this stage in their development. Will he stay there for very much longer? Probably not. But it's he's the right man right now for that team. No doubt. Can't disagree. I'm a massive Fernando Alonso fan. Hey, and what about the helmet cam? Oh, I loved it. Absolutely brilliant. Hey, that was great. I mean, Damon, it must have brought back memories, right? Oh, I mean, yes, definitely. It, that is, that's about as close as I can, um, uh, can uh, on TV anyway, I can remember seeing the, the experience that we have as a driver. That is, that's it. You know, that's the view apart from the, the roll hoop, you know, the um, halo. I mean, that's, that's how it looks from the copy. I mean, the, the onboard camera is good, but it doesn't give the, the bouncy, you know, the, the shaking around and the, and the kind of actual feeling that you're inside the cockpit. Um, so that is our world. That's brilliant. No, well, next thing I'll have to do is I'll have a camera implanted in his forehead or right in the middle. So he'll have a third eye or something. So because it's slightly off, off one side, isn't it? So that makes it look a bit. But the view was spectacular. Yeah, I'm very, very, uh, it, it, it kind of, I'm looking for the word. It kind of captures what it's more what it's like for the person sitting at home from the point of view of the driver. Fully immersive experience for the fans. And it gives us a, a newfound respect and appreciation for what you do because you can see so very little. Yeah, I mean, you're focusing in the far distance when you're in the car. But I think Martin was saying that, you know, that is also what happens when you get to a tight corner. You're looking over the wheel what this camera is doing is it's following the the rotation of the head. So the head is looking, not always looking straight ahead. It's looking round and it's looking, uh, you know, to the apex. And they have these things now, when you go on some simulators, they have a thing that looks in your eye and can see where your eye is pointing. And it actually, they can follow when you're, when you're learning to drive or learning to race, they can look where you're looking. Because obviously if you look at the wrong part of the apex or you look at the wrong part of the track, you're not going to make it. You tend to go where you're looking. So um, what the eyes are doing are really critical um, to, to helping you pick your line and through the corners and stuff. So that camera gave us a little sense of that. It was very good. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's called The Driver's Eye. Have a look on YouTube. It is absolutely brilliant. And Fernando Alonso had it. It's uh, 2.5 grams, a little micro camera uh, embedded in the helmet. And uh, it, a bit of a trial run, wasn't it, TC, this weekend? But we hope to. See it more often. Pinks, that's a great stat. 2.5 grams. I didn't know that. Loved it. Loved it. And I can't wait. too heavy. (laughs) Get it off. (laughs) Formula One. Uh, And let's hope we have it at Zandvoort next weekend. New track for Formula One. Zandvoort. And um, they've got this new long banking. I I saw the diggers. I saw them building and stuff, but I haven't actually seen a lap of it yet. But um, they've got this massively long last corner. Is that right? Banked corner? Massively long. I don't think it's going to look much like the track that Formula One last. I mean, it's been on. Zandvoort was first on the calendar in 1952. 
Hugenholtz. of the fabric of Formula One. But they have, yes, John Hugenholtz, exactly. Um, they've had to change it. They've had to make changes. Funnily enough, Ant Davidson from Sky, I think, was quite instrumental in some of the changes they made. He went there early last year with Michael Massey, the FIA race director, and um, they had a good walk round. But it's very, from what I understand, it's very, very cramped. The paddock is split into two bits because there just isn't the space for all the motorhomes in one area. There's just enough room behind the pits to put the trucks, but not much more than that. And um, can't wait. Yeah. Let's bring on the sand and hopefully no rain. No. Well, it's always sunny at the seaside, isn't it? Yeah, it says 23 and sunny. So be a nice change. Fingers crossed, eh? The World Championship couldn't be more finely poised, could it? We've got the two guys, Lewis and Max, separated by three points 0.5 to 0.5 just to wind up pinks (laughs) i mean if if max wins do you think that because of the spa race people go oh yeah but if it was that close you know and spa made the difference you know because people are going to be arguing about whether that was a race and it should have got the points and oh god i hope that doesn't um sour it but um there's still loads racing i I think the passionate fans if it if it comes down to the last race and it's really tight i think that the passionate Max Verstappen fans will will point to Silverstone, won't they? Not not Spa. <laughs> I think you can always say with Spa, well, listen, if you'd qualified ahead, you would have got more points, you know. And so qualifying yeah. it does it does emphasise that at least half of the race is qualifying, isn't it? So, you know, that's I think that maybe that's maybe that's fair. Maybe it's a way mean, to look it at it. It is it's what like it half is, the, and you got to move yeah. on, haven't you? It is what it is. Yeah, we're moving yeah, on. And w- we were at the airport with some of the Red Bull team last night and we sort of wanted their reflections and reactions to the weekend. They said, you know what? In a championship like this, we will just take every single point we can. Everything matters. And they're absolutely right when you see the margins between the drivers and the teams. You just want to, to grab any opportunity. And, and you're right, it may well come down to this half points finish, this crazy, surreal, shortest ever race in Formula One history, it may come down to that. I can remember watching Nicky Lauder when he won by from Alan Prost by a half point. It was that kind of smug look on his face. 1984. <laughs> Poor old Alain list out on a world championship. Oh by my goodness. In demi points. This reminds me. I haven't told you what happened with my goals. We need to know, Pinks. Oh, what happened? Uh, did you qualify? I missed out by one point. Oh, God. One <laughs> point. How were you awarded points, Pinks? Stewards inquiry. Okay, so listen, I don't want to sound in any way bitter because Helen Skelton was brilliant. Uh, but we went to Wentworth and we played 18 holes of the Edinburgh course, which hopefully Damon will be able to back me up here and say it's really difficult. And um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't hitting that well. And I thought, well, I'm out of this. And then I sort of started picking up and, and, and found my, a bit of a groove. And one of the organisers came up to me and said, you're still in this, Pinks. You know, it's very, very tight for the win. And I was like, you're kidding. And then right at the very end, they said, and the winner by a single point is Helen Skelton. You know, I, I was I was actually dead. So you were playing in a team of four girls, was it? to get? No, so we played the Stapleford. Is it called Stapleford? Stapleford, yeah. 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 So there were four, four of us and we, you were awarded points per hole. So the whole point was, is that we'd never hit a golf ball in our lives. And we had six months from start to finish in order to qualify for this event. But only one of us could. Pinks, are you going to keep playing now? 
Definitely, definitely. I've, or I've already signed up to a few charity golf days and I'm going to play Damon um, when we get to the Middle East. Can I come and be your caddy? Because I want to watch that. Do you know what I need right now? I need my Ask Damon fix. So come on, hit me up with some questions for the big man. Hi, Damon. This is Tarush from Chicago. I was wondering who would be your ideal commentary duo. After we saw Nico Rosberg have a very successful debut at the Hungara Ring, I was thinking I would have loved to see Nikki Lauda and Jensen Button together because they would complement each other beautifully. Absolutely loving the podcast and keep it up. Thank you. Okay, Tarush, good question. Uh, all the way from Chicago. Hello, Chicago. Um, so good to have you. And the the commentary team is a is a tricky one because everyone's oh gosh I've never met such a competitive bunch of people as people in show business or whatever you call it media or something everybody wants to get in there in the commentary box and do their thing but I have been in there and I know I I could not do nearly as good a job as the current team we have uh, and I'm not just saying that but I mean Martin Brundle and David Croft uh, three hours already it was a spa managing to keep us entertained. And uh, educated about Formula One uh, was a triumph. But, you know, we have had different combinations and it is always an interesting thing. And I would agree, Nico, I think I, I really like listening to what Nico has to say. He's always brave and he's, uh, he's outspoken without being controversial just for the sake of it. I think the problem with your suggestion, Nicky Lauda, is that his, he was very good at one word answers. So he'd just say, yes, no. That's bullshit. Rubbish. No good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's fast. It's fast. It's slow. It's bullshit. Yep. So, you know, it sounds like Jackie, I always think he was like Jackie Mason, that, that um, American comedian, you know, Bobby, Bobby, it's like this, it's like that, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I used to love, obviously everyone loved Nicky, but he's not verbose enough. Well, um, hang so on. you haven't given us your who, who can, definitive lineup or ideal, I think is what Tarush wanted to know. Ideal. We did like Murray and James. We did like the um, sweet and sour of Murray and James. You know, it's that combination. You've got to have somebody who is pants are on fire and the other person is pouring cold water on it. And I think that really works as a comedy duo. Other than that, it'd be me and Herbert, maybe. <laughs> I'd like to have a go. Because um, we did a track walk. We did a, well, not track walk. Um, we did a, a grid once, grid walk. It was chaos. <laughs> Absolute pandemonium. <laughs> Do not let a couple of ra old racing drivers out on a grid with some microphones and cameras. Well, Pinkles, you've done it, haven't you? You've been doing some FP1s this year. I mean, I think, I, I think of myself less as a commentator and more of just a conversationalist who likes to just get other people talking because you former drivers are the ones with the knowledge. And um, I think it's just hopefully about asking the questions, fans at home, one asking of them. I love the Herbert and Hill combo. I also love anyone with Jos Capito. Wouldn't he be great in comms? Zenoda as well. In yeah, Jos well. and Zenoda. Oh my God, Yuki with Jost. Can we make that happen? Yeah. Pinks, Jost and Yuki at some point this year. My favourite commentary duo, uh, Murray Walker. Loved Murray, grew up with Murray. So it has to be Murray. Although... There's so much strength and depth. I love all the guys we got now, but I, I will say Murray is the lead guy. And then, I don't know. I don't know. Where'd you go? I think Damon Hill. Yeah, that's fair. You're just saying that because I'm here. 
I honestly don't. I honestly know I couldn't do. I can't retain all the information you need to do this blooming job. I mean, there's so much, so much. I can't even say statistics, let alone remember them. I mean, there you go. Don't have me. Get some good people in. Murray and Martin was a high point, wasn't it? Murray and Martin. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Martin was still in his early days a little bit and he was kind of, you know, he was not, uh, what's the word, you know, um, encroaching on, on Murray's patch. And of course, he'd just taken over with, with uh, James. So a difficult thing to boots to fill. But my God, he's done it. I mean, he has done but, it. He's, well, Damon, can yeah. I, I think when he was still very much seeing himself as a racing driver, in some respects, I thought Martin was better. Yeah, because he very much came as I'm a racing driver, and I loved hearing the racing driver more yeah. more than the broadcaster. Yeah, and I, do you I remember agree. when Schumacher and Villeneuve in '97 at Jerez? You know, that's the wrong part of the car, my friend, or whatever it was. Martin said, you know, he just he just read the situation so well. Not that he can't read it now, obviously, but yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go Murray and Martin, closely supported by Natalie Pinkham and Damon Hill. There you go. Oh. He had to say that. Good question, Tarush. What do we got next? Hello, my name is Amanda, and I'm from the United States. I have two questions to ask for you. The first question is, what do you think will happen if there is a tie in the World Championship? My second question is, what happens if there is a tie for first place at a Grand Prix? I look forward to hearing your answers, and I'm having a blast listening to your podcast. Thanks! Great. Amanda, thank you very much. You're having a blast. I'm, I'm glad you gave us a great question. It'll go back to race victories. Now, they used to have a system whereby you dropped your worst scores. So some points, I remember with PK, PK won on second places and Mansell, Mansell, I think, had won more races, but he had, they dropped this system whereby you could drop points. Is that right, Tom? Correct. So not all your races didn't count in, in years gone by in Formula One. So you could have had more points and not won the world championship. So then they changed that. Yeah, it was your best 11 results back in the day. So that was, a, that was controversial when, when PK won because he had lots of more, uh, he hadn't had as many race wins as Nigel, but he'd scored, scored more points by finishing second. And, and then I think Bernie thought, that's no good. We can't have that. We can't have the guy that comes second, uh, you know, winning the championship because we want to see winners. So they, they biased the point system towards winning races. And some people were suggesting there should only be three points, one for, you know, the bloke who wins and the second and the third. But uh, yeah, the whole the whole way that it's decided is that you want a close finish at the end of the championship, but you don't want a dead heat. If you tie for a, a race in the Formula One, first of all, I think it would be extremely unlikely that it would ever happen. We've had races in the past like Monza where... Peter Gethin crossed the line with about five other cars and they had all, they had stopwatches in those days and, and they have they might have had a photo system like they have in horse racing where they could have gone back frame by frame. But I don't seem to remember seeing anything about that in our sport. It's supposed to have been five cars separated by two tenths of a second and Peter Gethin won it. Um, so that was the closest I think we've had as a multiple finish. We did have a qualifying session at Jerez in 1997 when four cars i think had the same lap time and and i was second or something but i finished i started to start fourth or fifth or something on the grid so timing systems now are down to a thousandth of a second so the chances of there being an absolute dead heat are very slim i think it will then go back to where the cars qualified 
So they take their start position and say, okay, well, the guy that qualified ahead uh, should should be the, declared the winner. Or they'll share the points, Tom. What about that? Do you think they share the points? You said you weren't good with stats a moment ago. I think you've just nailed it. I'm, I'm just thinking about that Olympic situation where they had the high jumpers who shared the gold medal. Yeah. Did you go for that? I didn't go for that. They should have shared the silver, really. No, I think they should have gone and had the, the, the shootout so you could jump higher. It's another big controversial question. Amanda, you have owned a can of worms. We're going to be here for the next 24 hours trying to work out the answer to this one. Good question. We're going to go and do some research and find out for you. Hey, Amanda, that's a great question. And you've got us thinking about Monza with that uh, Damon's reference to Monza 1971 when the top five cars were separated by 0.6 of a second. The race won by Peter Gethin because we also have our Any Other Business section on our podcast and they're renaming one of the corners at Monza this year and Pink's, you've got all the details. Well, thank you, Tom. I certainly do have all the details and that is because one of the most iconic corners in Formula One, the Parabolica at Monza is being renamed the Curva Alboreto after Ferrari driver Michele Alboreto. Now, it does throw up the question as to whether this is a good idea. If you say to any fan, name a corner at Monza, nine out of ten times they'll say the Parabolica. Whereas, you know, they're not going to say first chicane. But it's nice they've honoured Michele Alboreto like this. I I don't don't know what's provoked it uh, at this point there may be some celebration of some anniversary but uh, it was sad, he was he was sadly killed in a was it a touring car race i think no he was testing a sports car oh, an audi okay. sports car it's uh, very sad yeah. 10 years ago now more than 10 years ago he was a gentleman apparently he was a total gentleman um although not when he ran me off the track in, in Argonne. but um that's another story for another day maybe that should be the curva alboreto at hockenheim <laughs> yeah it was uh, yeah yeah, that one's called the Bosch curve, I think. I, he boshed me, definitely there. So there'll be some kind of celebration at Monza. But of course, we've got Zanvoort before we go. Pinks, you're back in England already. When are you coming back out to Zanvoort? Coming out on Wednesday and cannot wait because I love the Dutch fans. I mean, they're bonkers, aren't they? And I can't wait just to see the reception that Max is going to get at his home race. Because obviously we were robbed of it last year. We were so excited about it coming back onto the calendar and it didn't happen. Um, But now it finally is and it promises to be a cracker. I don't know about traffic coming in and out of the circuit. I don't know how much overtaking there's going to be, but I do know that the fans are going to go crazy. And that's great. The Orange Army. um, And I guess Max will get a better reception from them than Lewis. (laughs) Because there has been a bit of booing towards Lewis at the last few races including after qualifying in Belgium so come on Dutch fans let's celebrate all yeah, Formula 1 on. drivers yeah and I think Lewis did a great job of winning the hearts and minds of the Belgian fans because he was the most vocal after the race that they had been hard done by in terms of their experience so he was their voice bring it on Tom, we've got to get out of here. We've got other things to do. We've got a race coming up at Zanfort. We haven't got much time left, so we're going to give this job to Natalie. Natalie, sign us out. It's an F1 Nation podcast brought to you by Formula One in association with Audio Boom. Ta-ra! Kaboom!